to The Forbes Factor, featuring celebrity TV host, million-dollar entrepreneur, and renowned health and fitness superstar, Forbes Riley, a familiar face from TV, as well as one of today's most sought-after female motivational speakers today. You'll connect with some of the top experts in health and fitness, business and personal development, as well as some surprise celebrities, all sharing their insight, tips and tricks to finding true happiness. Now, here's your host, Forbes Riley. Well, hello, 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 everybody, and welcome to the Forbes Factor. I'm so excited. I'm sitting in Florida today. Last week, I was in Portugal, as many of you know. Tomorrow, I'll be in Los Angeles. And then I just decided it's my anniversary. Didn't even think about it. Taking my husband and I, we're going to Hawaii. I know that's like, oh, what a great little life. All right. So that sounds great, right? I can do that because I have a tremendous sense of freedom. That is the topic of today. We're going to talk about what freedom means to you. I think that we take freedom for granted. You know, I don't think we realize what it means. Um, And tonight, today we're going to talk about it. There's certainly a movie out there right now everyone should see called The Sound of Freedom. What happens when young people are taken against their will to be trafficked, Uh, young, old, it's kind of an interesting phenomenon, but when you're denied the right of your freedom. So I was talking to my daughter and my son, son's going off to college. My daughter's still in Portugal and she has freedom to do what she wants. But I remember when they were little, you know, you don't have freedom. You've got to go to school. And if you don't go to school, they track you down and make you go to school. And there's certain requirements and things that you have to do. Uh, I talk a lot about permissions. You know, you have permission to do certain things in life. You have permission not to do things. And I'm excited about the new program I'm putting out, literally called Permission, because you have to start by granting yourself permission, permission to believe that you are enough, permission to believe that you have a place in this world. And that if somebody tells you no, that is their right to do that, but they don't have permission to take away your self-esteem, though we very often give it away like it's a piece of candy. Here, take my freedom, take my my self-esteem. I'm nothing. And I teach and coach people every day about this. And I'm brokenhearted a lot of the time. And I'm on a mission to get people to understand how to find themselves no matter what the circumstances. So grab a pen. Today's show might be very interesting for you. One of the things that I want you to think about is that life happens for you, not to you. And what that means, it's gotten me through my darkest days. See, things happen that are good or bad. The good or bad is up to you. It's your judgment. Did something happen that was good or bad? Up to you to decide if it's good or bad. The problem is, if you deem it good, you're like, oh, let's celebrate. If you deem it bad, it's like, oh, why me? Well, why not you? Let's knock this off. Bad things happen to good people. Is that true? All the time. In fact, I'm just thinking about this. I took my favorite pair of sneakers, man. I got this gold and black awesome pair of sneakers. I was at my favorite health club, and there was nobody there. It was late at night. And I was walking down to the hot tub. I said, oh, you know what? I'm just going to leave them under the seat. They'll be fine. I didn't even get a locker. Not a big deal, right? Sure enough, I come back an hour later. My sneakers are gone. And I had a moment to go, one, my responsibility. I left them. And they walked away. And rather than get mad at the person who took them, they were very clearly taken by someone. I simply made a decision to bless that person, say they needed it more than I did, and made my sneakers walk into some fun experiences and not to hold on to it. Well, I don't think that's typical. It's not only not typical of me because years ago I would have been obsessed for a while about, oh, why did I, I'm just not obsessed. I loved it and I let it go. And I think that comes with an evolution of understanding of what you have control over and what you don't, also what makes you happy. And so when bad things happen to you, I'm going to urge you, as is my guest today, to make it into a life lesson. You are definitely the sum of the obstacles you overcome and the choices that you make. And then taking responsibility for that. But it's never a woe is me. It's what did you learn? And guys, you know me. I mean, I raised a little boy who was murdered. Trust me, there's a lot of bitterness that I could hold on to. Uh, The guy who killed him is spending 52 years to life in jail. That was a decision that he made. Unfortunately, uh, as I've gotten older, I don't think it was as conscious. When you're a kid, you do silly things. Uh, But sometimes they have circumstances. So today's show, I'm just going to talk to you about who it's sponsored by. Uh, It is sponsored by the One Minute to Millions Boot Camp. Yeah, you guys know me. I've made millions in just a minute on television. And so if you're seeing this, I would urge you to go to OneMinuteToMillions.com. This particular amazing boot camp that I am doing live for five days is a whopping 
$100 for five days of my time. And you get to pitch showcase at the end of it. And you get to bring a friend completely for free. Why would I do that? That's been the big question. I've had lots of my mentors and people go, I'm giving it away. You're worth so much more. Maybe that is not in question of how much I am worth. I know exactly what I'm worth. I also know that people are going through some crazy times. And here's what I want. I'm going to leave you on this note that I want to spread happiness. I didn't even know I wanted to do that until about two weeks ago. Two weeks ago, I'm in Portugal. I'm walking around uh, this old Game of Thrones type castle. Apparently, they did not have elevators in Games of Thrones times. And I got a bum knee. And by the end of the day, I was a little cranky. And I said to my daughter in that eight-year-old voice I do, I want an ice cream. <laughs> I knew what I wanted. I wanted vanilla ice cream dipped in chocolate. I just wanted Oh, I wanted that crunch. You know what? I go, we find a little store to go into. And I go find my ice cream. It's right there. And I don't have any money on me. So I go to get a credit card. And the woman behind the counter, pretty much in Portuguese, says, oh, no, 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 I, it's, it's only, it's a euro and it's a minimum of five euro to use a credit card. I said, no, no problem. I said, I will, I will give you the five euro just for the ice cream. She said, no, 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 we can't accept that. I said, excuse me, what do you mean? You get? I'm going to give you five euro. Give me a, we'll just change it to dollar. I'm going to give you $5. Give me a euro. No, 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 can't do that. I said, well, now I want my ice cream. So I turned to a little girl next to me who's holding her ice cream and her mom's looking through her purse for money. And I said, I'm going to buy your ice cream. And she and her mom looked at me like, you're going to what? Said, yeah, yeah, I'm going to buy your ice cream, treat your ice cream. She's like, why would you do that? As though I was gifting her a car. Why would you do that? It's like, because I can. Here, enjoy the ice cream. And her mother's like, got this crazy weird smile. The girl behind the counter is like, well, now it's only two euro. You need to spend three more. And I'm like, okay. There's a woman standing next to me. She's getting a scoop of ice cream. I said, darling, I'm going to get you not only one scoop. You need to buy two scoops of ice cream. She's like, why would you do that? I'm like. Does no one ever do anything nice just for the heck of it? Was it such an anomaly that I would buy a stranger ice cream? And she's like smiling, going, oh, my God, this is like the best day ever. A $2 ice cream turned into her best day ever. Think about that for a second. And I left the store and everybody was smiling. The, the woman behind the counter is like, this is just so cool. And I said to my daughter, I said, you know, I probably could buy the entire town an ice cream make everyone happy and feel like a god. Uh, I didn't do that. But I, I said, well, when I come home, what can I do? And so I said, the boot camp, we're going to give it away. You, you sign up for 100 bucks, which is pretty nominal for five days of training. And you get the workbook and you get the template. And you're going to leave being able to pitch what you do like Forbes Riley does. Guys, in my career, I've pitched over $2.5 billion. I know this pitching thing pretty good. Five days with me, a hundred bucks. I mean, it's almost obscene. $25 a day, $20 a day. And you bring a friend completely for free. WWW, one minute to million, spell out the one O-N-E and join us. There's gonna be people from around the world. And I promise you in typical Forbes Riley style, we're building a community of winners, of people who experience life at another level and who communicate brilliantly. So that's my mission, and I'm happy to be here. All right, let's get to my very first guest. Now, this is an interesting story. We talk about freedom. Can you imagine making a decision that would end you up in jail? I don't know what it's like, knock on wood. My husband does. We'll talk about that at a different point. Um, but it's an interesting story. And I met this man at a beautiful time in his life. And I'm excited that Mr. DeVell Hawkins is here as my guest. I'm going to bring him up on stage. Ah, three, two, one, add a spotlight. And there you are, my friend. Hello. Thanks for having me. How's it going? So what did you think of my ice cream story? Oh, it was amazing. I, I couldn't do nothing but smile. I couldn't help but smile. Love it. Right. And it's just so strange when you do something nice. Have you done something nice recently for somebody else? Absolutely, I have. Tell me. Well, I, I still live in a property community. Um, okay. And, you know, you have these drug addicts uh, all the time around the neighborhood. And I had just pulled up to, to my um, apartment. I got out my truck and he was riding a bicycle real, real slow. And he looked over to me. He said, you know, the day my birthday, he was like, he always say the word buddy. He'd be like, hey, buddy. Hey, buddy. He called everybody buddy. He, he has a, a, a great, great personality. 
I mean, every day, even if on his worst days, you see him smiling. And, and he, he tried to help everybody, even though he's on drugs. And he was like, yeah, today my birthday, buddy. Today my birthday. I gave him a few bucks out of my pocket. And I also took him to get something to eat, a fresh, hot cooked meal. And, I just and got I, chills. Every, every time he see me, he still be thanking me right now today for that. I just got chills. Is it, is it an amazing to you at a little gesture like that? And I love that you had a story because I don't think everyone's got a story. Isn't that too bad? Yeah, that's too bad. Oh, they, they don't even realize they have one. Well, that's true. All right. So, Mr. Devell Horkin, you have a very interesting story. Um, you are from Florida and yes. you recently spent some time in prison. Am I correct? Yes. Fair amount of time, right? How many years? 15 years off a 22 year sentence. That's a lot of time to be denied your freedom. It is. And we're going to get into the why in a, in a minute. But before we do that, I want to know, because when I first heard you speak, we met on Clubhouse. We met through a dear friend of mine named Mike Alden, who's a big uh, book publisher, has been in the infomercial industry with me for decades. And I just I heard your voice. I knew that we've seen each other a couple of times. And I thought, I want that man on my show. I want to ask him some questions. Guys, we're live on Facebook. If you've got some questions, um, because my first question is, when you realized that you were sentenced to 22 years what went through your head? I was numb. I was numb. And I really, it, this is the crazy thing about it. Uh, some guys that have been through the system and still is in the system, they'll understand me. When I got sentenced to 22 years, I didn't even think about the amount of years because in the federal system, they don't tell you years. They tell you months. So they gave me 262 months. But I knew it was 22 years only because my um, my representative told me it was 22 years. But when you look at the months, I still was doing the math when I got back to the cell, like counting them by 12. Okay, here go 12 months. That's one year, 12 months. <laughs> you know, I, I was counting by months. How old were you at the time? I was 28 years old. Wow. Wow. I was and 28. How did you end up getting seven years off your sentence? Well, the Prison Reform Act kicked in that uh, Kim Kardashian actually uh, fought for uh, when Donald Trump was in 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 the seat, and he the one signed the bill. It freed up so many people, especially well, a lot of minority people. Well, because because what well, so let's before we find out what got you in that situation, let's go back to the beginning. I've heard your story, but the audience hasn't. Tell me about right. Little Lavelle. Let's go back. How did it all start? About Little Devel? Yeah. Oh, Little Devel, Little Devel was a, a, a very, uh, <laughs> he, was, he, was, he was a character, man. He was a, he was a character. He was very energetic, um, always wanting to get into something. And he also, um, he was dyslexic. He couldn't read, couldn't write. So he lashed out a lot. My mom was a bus driver. Um, she was the type of uh, woman in the community that actually just took in all the kids or whatever. Um, any kids was allowed to uh, our house. Um, she was a single parent. She struggled greatly, you know, uh, to put food on the table and pay bills. But she was very happy with her job as a bus driver. It was something that she she loved doing and she had a passion for. But it was, and, for, school um, kids. Wait, it was for school kids. Am I correct? School kids. Well, yeah, because I remember listening yes. to the story that you told about that it was hard to cut school if your mom's the school bus driver, right? Right, right, right. It, it definitely was because I had to ride her bus. <laughs> I think that's correct. Yeah, so, yeah, so um, it all started when I was in the third grade. You know, I, I, I was diagnosed with dyslexia. I noticed that I couldn't read or write and um, couldn't participate in my education as the other kids did. So I acted out a lot with frustration to try and hide my disability and my um, inability to to read and write um, like the other kids did. So I used to use like a, a bully type mentality and I used to fight a lot and get in trouble in school on purpose because I was afraid and didn't want other kids to pick at me. So um, but <clears throat> as the years went along, as a, at a young age, I was a very, very good football player, and I was always the best football player on the field. Um, I was the one that uh, other coaches prepared to try and stop. I was very good in sports, like all through all of my school years, 
in um, my younger years, but I just couldn't read and write. And I was really afraid of that moment to even, you know, try and spell the word cat, dog or whatever it was. So um, I acted out in frustration and I took on a lot that went on in my community is where I learned from. You know, when you step outside my house, you see everything under the sun, drug dealers, prostitutes, drugs, uh, crime. You see these things every time you step outside my door. So that's what I picked up on to because I didn't have to read and write to participate in that type of lifestyle. So I was basically a product of my environment growing up. And that's where the crime started. Well, and we'll get into that in for a second. You know, Develle, as we're looking at a hindsight of how to help other kids, would it have helped? I heard you mention some one teacher that really had an impact on you. Would it have helped if you had been able to focus to change the the learning disability you dealt with? Yes, uh, my fifth grade teacher, Miss Hall, uh, made me feel so comfortable trying to learn how to read and write, and that's that she she really. Uh, gave me that that passion to try and help kids even now today with things that they struggle with and then just helping people in general uh after after i left the fifth grade it's i i i relapsed right back into um the same behavior all the way up to fifth grade and it, it just got worse and worse um fifth grade was my best youngest uh year of school sorry what happened to dad where's dad through all this uh, dad never played a part in my life. I never had a relationship with him, uh, never did anything. I can't even much remember spending one day with that. And consequently, you are a father now, correct? Correct. Are you good? Are you a good dad? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I'm giving my kids something that I didn't have growing up, you know, and I thrive as I'm doing it. Uh, all of my kids are grown now. Uh, my youngest is 18 years old. Uh, and then my youngest daughter, she's 20. She's right here with me now, you know, uh, and she, 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 I mean, listen, I love my kids. They put a smile on my face, uh, greatly. And, and they was one of the reasons why I decided to change my way of thinking. Uh, once I received that long 22 year sentence, not knowing if I was going to ever get out. And so you started this life of crime because why? Uh, I didn't have anything else better to do um, in, in my own head. I thought I didn't have anything else better to do. It became it became fun to me because committing crime became like a sport to me. And I was very good in sports. So I always wanted to see if I can get away with a crime and just not be caught, you know. And I, I made a lot of mistakes and I did a lot of crimes that I was caught for. And I did some crimes that I wasn't caught for. And the ones that I didn't get caught for motivated me to continue doing more crime. Wow. Uh, and we're having a little bit of, a, of, a, of an internet issue. I'm hoping that it's okay. So wh when you said crimes, I, I heard some story about you selling drugs that weren't real drugs to get money to sell drugs. Yes, I, I did that uh, starting out when I first started out to sell drugs. I sold fake drugs uh, to get money to buy real drugs. But because I did, I was at a very young age. I was like 11 years old, 12 years old at the time. And I didn't have any money to purchase any drugs. So uh, I created fake drugs, sold the fake drugs to buy money for uh, the real drugs. You know, uh, obviously, it, 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 but in another universe, in a parallel universe, you're quite the entrepreneur. <laughs> you know, I got to give you kudos. I mean, that's part of what you did because where, how else do you get out? How else do you get a start if you're where you are? And as I'm listening to this, I'm thinking that in order to help kids who you were, one, you got to up the education. Two, you said something very profound. Somebody's got to love you. Somebody's got to believe in you because if they don't, I think that's a lot of the kids that you see who are in trouble. Do you agree? Right. Right. So it, I, that's why I always say solution speaks louder than than words. If you create a solution, um, um, you, you create change because I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, oh, no, no. Keep going. I'm listening, but I'm just thinking. Yeah. I, I, like you have the guys in the community, you know, um, they come around to our neighborhoods all the time and they pass out these uh, found, and, you know, no disrespect to whatever religion, you know, they are. Uh, they honor or uh, anything. No disrespecting I applaud them for all the work they do. You come to the neighborhoods and you knock on doors and everything and you try to sell these newspapers, but you're not creating a solution. 
it's oh my brother this oh my brother that we need to do this that and the third but you guys haven't set a foundation you had you guys haven't created a solution to help these guys uh find a better way in life so they're going to continue living the life that they only know and that's to be out here in these streets selling drugs and committing crimes because that's what they know and half of them don't know how to fill out an application a job application so you're gonna you want change create a solution help them fill out job applications you know yeah so that's my whole thing no i'm loving it all right so what was the crime that did you in what were you doing now how many kids did you have at the time oh man i i, I was i was making kids uh i was making kids as i was committing crimes so i i can't even remember i had four kids when i caught the 22 year sentence all right what happened to catch that sentence oh yeah. yeah i was bust i was busted for for drugs and possession of firearm and when, once i got busted for that uh they had me red-handed it was i didn't have no code defendants i chose not to have a code defendant because uh my the person that could have been my code defendant was the actual guy who sold the undercovers the, the drugs but i took the route for everything because I didn't want no co-defendants and I knew I was the one that they was after. So I just took full responsibility for it. Uh, I just put it all, you know, I just put it all in God's hand and whatever was meant for me was going to happen when then I can really do about it. But my mother always told me, do not claim it, do not claim it. And I'm not going to do all that time. And she was right. And so is your mom still alive? Yes, and I'm so blessed for that. Uh, she prayed dearly and greatly, and she she uh, she got me into praying hard and believing and having faith and everything. So, uh, how long have yeah. you been out? How long have you been out? I've been out now, uh, right at four years. I'm I'm almost four years out of prison. So you know, it's a crazy thing, but as I talked about, life happens for you, not to you. If you hadn't gotten busted. What do you think would have happened to you? Uh, I don't, I, I think I'd probably be dead or maybe in jail because I was doing, a, listen, as I, as I became a teenager, I became real, real aggressive in these streets. And, and I was the guy that was around here robbing drug dealers. I, I, I love robbing drug dealers. Ooh, and, um, ooh that's yeah, got to be a big one. Yeah, I, I was around here robbing drug dealers, doing home invasions, carjackings, kidnappings and everything with these drug dealer guys and and you know I kind of terrorized my city with that and they constantly put the police on me you know day after day you know it's like I was running from the police like I jumped every gate in the neighborhood <laughs> running from the police you know so um yeah I mean I became so good at it to I even had a police officer uh became my partner in crime and I was doing crimes for a police officer uh right here in in Polk County and um, that, yeah, we was like you don't hear that except in the movies. What happened to him? Uh, he eventually got caught for some other crimes, and he ended up in a federal system. And he caught a great deal of time, but he got right now in a day. Um, this, this is crazy. My my first federal case that I was charged with, this police officer that was uh, commit helping me commit these crimes was actually the arresting officer because his boss, his boss ordered him to arrest me on a crime that I had committed. So he had to write the police report. Uh, I ended up beating that case because he, he went up on the investigation. And then um, I ended up back in the federal system it was when I caught the 22 years. And um, then he actually caught time too for something unrelated to, to my stuff. And we both are out now and I got out on probation and I'm not on probation no more because this same officer actually practiced law and he got me on probation right now this day <laughs> so it's i mean it's amazing well it's that's, crazy that's, that's part of that's part of the movie i know that's coming all right so now you've got you i mean i can i've only seen this in film so i'm imagining you're out there now hurting drug dealers that's got to be a dangerous business don't you think yeah, uh, a lot of the a lot of the drug dealers ain't ain't who they say they are. I mean, anybody can sell drugs, um, but they don't have the heart of aggression. What I learned from this game is aggression never wants to meet aggression, and when it does, is most likely uh, a murder scene. So, a lot of these guys, 
are not into trying to murder nobody. They just want to make money and, and, and buy flashy jewelry and cars and things like that to impress the uh, females. What do, you, what do you think would happen if we made drugs legal? Uh, y'all made if we made drugs legal, what I think would happen? Uh, I think it, it would be a lot of uh, homeless people. I think uh, drugs would become some a uh, go-to for depression, which it already is. But I think it'll be even more widespread. But you wouldn't have the crime, and you would have all that tax money. Hey, it'll be better for the government. I, I don't. I don't know. Well, I don't care about the government. I care about our society, and I just wonder. Exactly. I just wonder. Exactly. Well, have you? I'm saying. I'm just saying, like, the drugs won't be good for the, for the people. It'll only be good for the government because we'll be paying taxes on it. And uh, they're not, not, they not strung out on it. And you think people would do drugs anyway? Yeah, I think, it, I think they'll just do it because it's in the stores, because it's somewhere they can purchase. Why do people do drugs, do you think? I don't know. I never did drugs. <laughs> I never did drugs. I never smoked. I never drank. I'm not a smoker, a drinker. And that was crazy. So a lot of people be like, well, how do you commit these crimes and you don't do drugs? You don't have anything to amp you up or anything. And I just got a, I just got a thrill from the crime itself and just getting away with the crime. That is a phenomenal statement that you, given all that you did, don't drink and don't do drugs. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Yeah, I was absolutely sober. You're an adrenaline junkie. Yeah, that's that's what I use. They some people call me crazy ball head. Oh, they crazy ball head guy. And like I, you know, I, they call me crazy ball head. Like I have <laughs> how how tall are you? Six foot three, um, two forty. I, I have this vision, man, that if you could have read and written better, that you would be an, an amazing football player. That aggression would have been sent out in a in a powerful direction, and we'd be hailing you as a a great safety or somebody a cornerback. Maybe you know. <laughs> I'm serious. I think that's what absolutely. But it's kind of fascinating to me. So now it all comes to a grinding halt. I'm blown away that you don't give up the cop who helped you. That's like in crazy. Um, and what's, right. what's your mom thinking this whole time? My mom know that I live on. I live my life on the edge, and, and she can only just pray for me and just hope I do better. Um, she do have talks with me, and the one talk that she had with me. Uh, really motivated me even more to learn how to read and write while I was incarcerated. And I ended up getting my GED seven years later. It took me seven years to get my GED, but I accomplished that. And that's when I started writing novels, uh, writing books. And how did it, how does it look in your brain as a dyslexic, which Tom Cruise is, which a lot of people are, how does it look when you're reading and writing? Have you figured it out? Yeah, yeah I figure I figure it out. It just, it comes so slow to me. You know, the okay. comprehension and everything, it comes slow. It comes, but it comes slow. Vision is like mad crazy, but putting it on paper, uh, it just comes slow, very slow. It's right, a very so slow process. Now you're in jail with a lot of other guys who've done a lot of other bad things. What are the kind of people that you met there? Uh, I met some smart, intelligent, very smart people. Um, I even met... He sold the bad too. He wrote the bad boys too. He sold it for a little nothing, and it ended actually, up being a, a major have, hit with a, Martin we, Lawrence we, and um. Will we, have a, we have we have a little bit of, of cutting out. I don't know why. Most of the time, it's totally fine, and then it goes in and out. Um, does that? Oh uh, yeah, yeah. Okay. I, I met a lot of uh, great, successful guys. Uh, wait, lawyers, see, wait, wait. Uh, you just said something. I need to go back. You met the guy who wrote oh. Bad Boys Two, who was in jail with you. Yeah, yeah. What was he? Yeah, for? that's. I don't remember. I mean, these guys—they don't really talk too much, you know. They—they kind of afraid to say what they what they in for. Um, architects. I met architects. Uh, that actually, I created my own cooking pot that you can stir your food up without taking the lid. And I had met an architect, and he actually sketched it all out for me and everything. And I—I I actually right now today have a patent for, and um, like. It's just so many things, man. It's so many things that I took advantage of. I took advantage of all education I can possibly take advantage of. Even, although I still struggle right now, uh, I took advantage of all the education that I could possibly take advantage of while I was incarcerated. So I met a lot of great people, 
who, you know, did some things that they probably regret now, but they was all very smart, intelligent, was able to teach me a lot. I am so very proud of you to do that. Did you have a moment, an awakening where you're like, all right, I'm going to shift this. This is not going to be my story. I had a, I, my moment was the phone conversation with my mom. I said, I would not particularly like this. I would not let my past define me. I would not let it, I would not let it continue to control me. So I reinvented myself completely as a person that was more important with my thought process. Uh, changing my thinking and reinventing myself as a person is what I thrive off of. And right now, today, people in my community and my neighborhood see me and they still can't believe it. They're like, man, this guy right here, he was like, he was like the D-boy of the neighborhood. Like when he come on the block, people go home, like people leave. And now he's on the block. He's talking to kids. He's talking to people. I'm teaching people how to publish their books, becoming self-published authors. I'm teaching them how they write their books and everything. And, and I'm doing this, um, you know, just just from a good heart, just just doing what I can to, you know, make an impact in the community uh, versus terrorizing the community. So it's, it's definitely a, a 180, a complete turn. I, I think it's brilliant. I think it's why you're on the show. What's the first book that you decided to write? The first book I decided to write was Saga, which I actually took it down. It's a series called Saga I took down. When I wrote that first, I wrote, I wrote that first Saga book, um, I actually was in prison. And I, I made a phone call from prison to Tracy McGrady, which is an NBA Hall of Famer. He, you know, he grew up like not far from me. And I called him from the jail phone. He accepted the call and I say, I want to change my life. And he was like, you really want to change your life? I say, yeah. He said, so what you doing for? I say, I'm writing a book and I want to become a self-published author and I need your help. And he actually uh, funded the, the company that helped people in prison uh, be self-published authors. He, he sponsored it for me. And that's when I began writing and, and I'm still writing right now to this day. Right, wait, let's unpack this for all my baby entrepreneurs. You made a phone call to a guy you did not know. No, I actually knew Tracy McGrady uh, and, uh, personally because him and my little cousin, uh, RIP, him and my little cousin was like really good friends. And I had met him a couple of times in person already. And I know a lot of his family because we live in the same kind of area. And, and he, um, so he knew he knew of me. He knew of me. He knew of me. We spoke before in person before I ever even went to prison. So he knew exactly who I was. And my name was a big name around here because I was robbing all the drug dealers. I got to tell you, I I think the police should have helped you. Um, and, <laughs> but I want to but I want to replay this because that's a moment that's fantastic. Uh, a dear friend of mine, the guy who wrote Chicken Soup for the Soul, by the way, you know, sold over a billion copies of those books, has a new book out called Ask. And one, you know, asking you shall receive. And you picked up the phone. A guy who's a well-known NBA player gets a phone call saying, hi, this is from prison. And he says, OK, talk to me. How long, right, how long did you have to talk to him? Uh, I talked to him the whole time. It's 15 minutes or 15 minutes. Uh, call. I actually talked to him the whole time. And, you know, I just kind of laid out, you know, my direction. Um, I want to go in my life. And he listened to me. He gave me some feedback and he actually helped me. And he said, uh, you know, just have the have the company call me. And when they call me, I'll take care. And the next day, the check was in the hand. So, I mean, I was greatly blessed to have that opportunity to, to call somebody of, of that status while I'm in prison and I really didn't have a, a, a direct relationship with him. He just knew of me and he had seen me before and he was good friends with my cousin. So I didn't have a real good relationship with him. We just knew each other. But here's what you did is you had a great pitch. You had a vision for what you wanted. You laid it out to somebody and then I'm sure you, you said, and this is what I want. And he Absolutely. stepped up to the plate. I mean, I've got to tell you, that's a classic pitch story. That's just genius. So you wrote this book. What was the first book about? Uh, the first book was about how I terrorized my community. So I made myself saga and I wrote everything fiction. And a lot of people who read the book, I, I took it off of Amazon. Now it's not in print right now. 
um, David was like, oh, my God, he's writing about all this stuff. Yeah, you know, I did it. Some of the stuff I was already arrested for. So, you know, it's not like I, it's not like I killed anyone. You know what I mean? It's not like I raped anyone. So I didn't care about it. The statute of limitation was going on it and stuff like that. So I wrote about a lot of stuff and I put it into a fiction form and I made it fiction. But the people who know me, they know like stuff uh, probably actually happened. So I, what I think about this is fascinating. There is a line that you drew about evil. Is evil killing people, raping somebody, and stealing? So the last two you've never done. What you I think? never done. And I'm very glad that you didn't because this would be a different conversation, I'm sure. Um, Correct. So your intent, you know, what do you think about good versus evil? What I think about good versus evil is I, I think it's almost uh, necessary in a sense. And I say that because I, I was I was I was considered as evil as at one point. Got it. But e e evil, evil. Um, I don't I don't really like the word evil. But since you said good versus evil or whatever, um, I use it. But I think evil is something that you kind of uh, can grow out of and learn a lot from because you you eventually you eventually realize uh, people you hurt you you eventually have some type of sympathetic you have you have a heart you have you know you have kids you have family and when you go out and you do evil things to people um, and someone do it to your your family members, that's when it hit home and you, you you think about it and you may be mad at the moment, but you start to realize that you cannot conduct yourself this way unless you are to be in jail for the rest of your life or dead. So now you're about, how many years in did you know that your sentence was going to get shortened? I didn't even know I was getting out, to be honest with you. Um, so many laws had had passed and none of them affected me. And even when this uh, prison reform act came out, I, I really didn't know what to think. I didn't know if I was going to believe it or not, uh, whether it was going to affect me or not. But when I did find out it was going to affect me, I still didn't know how to take it. So I was I was in, I was like in disbelief uh, for quite a bit. Because so I didn't know I was I didn't know I was coming home. But the great thing about it is I had already prepared myself for when I be released because my mom always told me, don't claim it. Just continue to better yourself as a person. And that's what I did. So when I did come home, um, I was afraid and I was dealing with a lot of uh, inst I was institutionalized. I was afraid and I dealt with a lot of depression and I still deal with depression right now today. And but, you know, a lot of people look at me as almost like a, a hero because I the way I changed my life and re reinvented myself and I became a bestseller author with the book. I come before you. And now, I mean, I'm still on my journey to, to, to continue being great and being a great person. Tell me about the book. I come before you. With a book, I come before you. I wrote about a city, uh, Lake Florida. I wrote it about Lakeland, Florida in the way that I knew the drug dealers over there kind of conduct themselves. Uh, it was the, it's the weirdest thing in the world because these guys, they will, they will snitch and tell on each other, get out of jail and still be hanging with each other. And they know what just happened. It's wow. very weird. I, I, I don't understand the concept but um, they they made it like snitching is cool and I can still hang with you. Wow. So it's like it's like <laughs> you never know who to trust. You can't trust anybody but yourself. Well, that's unfortunate. So you I, I think that you are a hero. I think that you went through a period in life and the fact that you lived to change it around and talk about it makes you very heroic in my eyes as well. Uh, and I'm pretty proud. Thank of you. You. I, you know, I've just kind of gotten to know you, but I'm. I listened to you on Mike's podcast and thought, this guy's got some things that the world needs to hear. How old were your kids when you got out? My kids were my my youngest. My youngest was like 15, 
Well, and what he was, was just, the reaction? He was just he was just turning fifteen. What was the reaction when you came home? It it, my, it was my son. He was kind of stunned. He, it, it, he was shocked that I was home. He didn't show any emotions at first, and then when we took a picture together, tears just kind of rolled down his eyes, and I was like, "Wow, there go the emotions." But he's really not saying anything. He's like so so quiet, and I kind of get like a little emotional myself because I just kind of play back that moment, you know, of just being free and being back into society and just having a chance to not redo it, but just better myself as a person. There's a horrible statistic about people who get released back into society that a good portion of them end up back in jail. Why do you think that is? And what, what did you do to make that not happen? I think people don't change the way they, the way they think. If you change the way you think, you change the way you, you, you conduct yourself and the way you move out here in this world. So I, I think it all starts mentally. You come back and I mean, I've come back from years being away and it's challenging. You talked about not being able to drive and other things that were just so unusual that I think would cause some depression. What were the biggest hurdles and obstacles that you had when you came out? Uh, the biggest hurdle I had was learning how to deal with a relationship. I think we all have that one. <laughs> that was like one of my biggest hurdles. But but you got to understand, like, you know, all my life, you know, the, the women would label me as a dog because that's what I was uh, back then growing up. You know, I, I never was faithful to a woman. You know, I always, you know, talked to more than one woman. Um, so and I didn't treat them like they needed to be treated. You know, I was kind of a little rude and stuff like that. Uh, so being a different person and changing my mindset and, and, and wanting to have that perfect woman in my life now is, is just, it, that, that's the biggest challenge. That was the biggest challenge when I first got out, not now. Well, because now what's going on? Now I am a single man right now and I'm just living my life and trying to be a better me. And I understand the woman of my life will come uh, at, at its right time. I so I'm not forcing anything. So I'm just trying to better myself and continue to be a good person. And I know one day that that, that woman will come when, when the time is right. I feel like timing is everything. I just got chills. I have no doubt. Is your daughter still in the room? Uh, she's back there in the room. I don't know if she's on TikTok or whatever, but she's back there. No, <laughs> no, <laughs> oh, she just, she just heard say, me. She can said, we, can no. we say hi to her for a second? Stony, Miss Ford Riley want to say hi to you. I also have two 20-year-olds at home. So tell me about you. First of all, you're beautiful. You got a great energy. I've seen you help your dad last night and tonight. Tell me about your dad. What do we need to know about him? Uh, you can put her on your lap. He goes. She is the, too tall. She's like tall as me. He goes. The, <laughs> oh, uh -oh. yeah, she's tall as me. Now that is a that is a moment right there. That's a that's, that's a so cute. Right Our background fell. <laughs> yeah. Um, he goes the extra mile for the people that he loves. Um, hard on me, but I appreciate it. Um, like when I was in. High school, the 12th grade, my senior year, um, I had an injury towards the end of the season when I had sprung my ankle at practice, but I still insisted on playing. And he was like, no, you need to calm down, take a break. Well, I'm like, that. no, like, I want to play. Like, district's coming up, I want to play. So he made sure, like, he was at every game, motivated me. Like, I'm talking about running up and down the sidelines, over by the bench, like giving me a pep talk. Um, What's we have our moments, but we always overcome. What's the, big, what's, the biggest less, what's the biggest lesson that you think you've learned that we all need to learn by your dad's journey? People do change. People do change. Um, the biggest lesson that I learned. I got to say, you know what? Be more disciplined. 
Be more he disciplined. He taught me discipline. Nice. Are you proud of him? Yeah. All right. Well, give him a kiss, and, and I'll just finish <laughs> it. But it's nice to – you have – for those of you who are listening on radio, she has the most beautiful smile. She helped your dad set up the whole Zoom thing and just, just a beacon of love. I got to tell you, that thing about people can change should give us a little bit of hope that maybe we should help people change and, and love on them so that they can come. I mean, I'm looking at you and your family and your energy. What's the next book that you're working on right now? Uh, I just wrote a mental health book. It's called The Journey to Mental Stability. Uh, but the, the main thing that I'm working on right now, I just wrote a movie called I, Before, I Come Before You. It's called I Come Before You. It's based off the book that uh, made me a best-selling author, I Come Before You. And I have the script, but I don't have the funding. So I'm just working on that that part of it. Um, just add the word um, yet. I don't have the funding yet. Yet. I don't have the funding yet. And you know what? You keep telling your story. You get out there. You're on shows like mine. And people will be gravitated to you and your story. And I think it's a story that we need to hear. You know? I I'm just... What's one thing that you want to tell your younger, very boisterous self? What would you say to him? I would say you can do anything that you want to do. Don't be afraid to do the things that you want to do. Don't be afraid to go after the things you struggle to do. Don't be afraid to try and accomplish the things you struggle to do. All right. So and, let me, well, let me lay out a scenario here. You got a young kid black kid right. in a tough neighborhood who doesn't do well in school, doesn't see a future. He only sees drug dealing. What do you, right. what do, you do with him at that moment? At that moment, I see what direction that uh, he wants to go in life. Like what do you see yourself being? And he'll tell me what he sees himself being, uh, which, is which is something totally different from a drug dealer. Wait, wait, hang on, Dev Devel. Wait, you you totally cut out. I'm not quite sure why. All of a sudden, for that beautiful sentence, I couldn't hear you. So say that again. Oh. Okay, uh, I will see what direction he want to go in life, and I will ask him what he see himself being in life. All right, so and Ed, most likely it won't be a drug dealer. Well, but hang on a second. Do you think that the people that you met who were drug dealers have a vision for their life? Think anything is possible? Because I mean, I raised Dexter in South Central Los Angeles. And I spent a lot of time talking to people who had no direction because they were not given a direction. They were not given hope. So they saw right. what they were doing right then, making money, going, look, the world doesn't want me. I don't think I can do anything else. So what do you say to him? I asked him, what do, what do he know he's good at other than what he's doing now? Okay. And when he give me that answer, I would let him know there's no reason that you can't do that versus what you're doing. Do you think and a lot you, of the guy, well, do you think that the younger you would have listened to you? I think if I had a dad, my, I think if I had a dad in my life, you know, uh, more of a man figure because my mom was so, you know, busy trying to put food on the table and, and pay the bills and keep a roof over our head. I think if I'd have more attention from a man to I think I would have definitely been in a different position than you know, I, I been met, sitting in I prison met, 15 years. I met Dexter in the Big Brother, Little Brother program, and I'm not sure that you've ever had a chance to speak with them or for them, but I think they should hear you. I think your story... I would, I would love to speak with all of those programs, um, even the program Tiffany Haddish has how about that dealing with kids over in that area? I think it's uh, Arizona somewhere. That program you're talking about, the Big Brother Little Brother program. Uh, I would love to speak all across the nation to uh, all of these programs in schools and colleges and young adults and troubled kids and all of that stuff. I thrive off speaking to them because they can hear me because I actually lived the life I've been through it and I've been through what they are going through now. Yes. So I don't need a degree to motivate somebody to change somebody. No, in fact, your degree is life. And the way you lived it, you just need that. Yeah, you need that that out there. I'm sorry. I just think that's part of the next book that you're going to do is that that speech, that ability to get you out there. And I'll see what I can do to help you. You know, I'm a big fan of of the universe putting people together. I mean, it's been absolutely spectacular talking to you. 
Is there anything that you would like to share with my audience? My audience is a lot of business owners. So I want to take the life lessons of what you've learned and apply it to them. What do you think you want that? What, what, what do you want to say to them? What I want to say to them is um, my life lesson and was uh, just based on having uh, being resilient, just the resiliency of uh, overcoming the depression and, and, and the mental struggles that I deal that I deal with, uh, having the strength to overcome those things and the resiliency to not let it, you know, uh, beat me. Yeah. Uh, I think that's one of the things that uh, I want to share with them that no matter what level you what level you own, whether you're successful or not, we all have challenges, whether it's mentally or emotionally, spiritually, we have challenges and you can't let it defeat you. Even if it being you do not break. I am very, very, very proud of you. And I'm so glad that we did this. Any final thoughts? Yeah, my final thoughts are, I thank everyone for tuning in. I hope someone learned um, from this. I hope you enjoyed this interview. Uh, today was a great day. Today was one of the biggest days of my life because I was able to share my story with you guys. Uh, and I encourage any any investors or anybody out there to tie, uh, chime in with me to uh, connect with me and help me get this uh, I Come Before You movie funded. Well, we will do what we can, everybody. This is Mr. Javel Hawkins and his beautiful daughter. I want to say thank you from the bottom of my heart. We're at the close of our show, and I know I learned a lot today. Um, to hear what resilience means for a man who spent 15 years in prison, comes out and is writing books as a former dyslexic and a guy who used to beat up drug dealers. I got to tell you, I'm just very proud because I, I, I live on that side of good and you're only on the side of good because there is some evil is the only way to judge it. So guys, everybody put one foot in front of the other. You listen to Forbes Factor today. We focus on health, wealth and happiness. And I'm very proud of my guest and for you for tuning in. And I will see you guys next week. Same bat channel, same bat time. Uh, coming up for us, make sure if you want to check out our sponsors, check out oneminutetomillions.com or go to ForbesRiley.com. And as a final thought, I, I just believe that life happens for you, not to you. My guest epitomized that. And I want you to think today about something bad that happened in your life. And I want you to turn it around and make it a positive life lesson and keep going with a big smile on your face because Forbes Riley told you so. See you guys next week. Bye-bye, everybody. Thank you for making The Forbes Factor an important part of your week. Be sure to join Forbes Riley again next Wednesday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time and 11 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. We'll see you again soon.